welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. Okay, did you all know that it is Palm Sunday this morning? It is. Do you know what that is? So if we uh, reach your palms out and we all start reading them? No. It's a wrong religion. Don't do that. Palm Sunday, it marks the first day of the Holy Week. This is when Jesus was mounted on the donkey and crowds laid palm trees on the ground. And then the crowds would shout, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Let's check it out in scripture. We'll bring it up on the screen in John 12, 12 to 16. It says the next day, the crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after, can everyone here say after? After Jesus was glorified, did they realise that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Okay, so the significance of the palm leaves, as on the screen, you've got palm leaves were a symbol of victory, triumph, peace and eternal life, which we now understand, looking back, Jesus is the fulfilment of all of these things. And Hosanna means highest praise. Uh, But another translation there actually means please save us. It was a beseeching, especially for the Jews of that time, please, please come and save us. And you might go, well, save thee from what? And that's a really good question because we don't necessarily understand what they were feeling. What they wanted from Jesus as a Messiah, as a savior was very different to what actually happened. So this morning, the title of my message is The Bigger Picture. So let's come and insert ourselves in this story here. It's very, very easy when you're talking about history to look back with a bird's eye view, that lovely thing of hindsight, you know, and we get to see all of these events that have already taken place. But when you insert yourself in the story of these Jewish people, they had no idea about what was about to happen and what they were currently in the middle of this holy week. Jesus stepping on this donkey, riding through, being hailed as as their Messiah. But what they were hoping for was to be rescued from this Roman Empire. So historically speaking, uh, when you read through the Old Testament, um, you've got the Jewish people who were constantly almost at war. But Jesus had anointed these as his special chosen people to be the head and not the tail. You know, and so God would raise people up, often kings, uh, to come and be their triumphant hero. And God would work miraculously through them so that they knew that it was God at work and not them. And they find themselves in this situation where they're under Roman rulership and they hate it. They hate being dictated to. It was brutal um, rulership and they wanted so much for Jesus to come and save them from their immediate problem. But there was a much bigger picture that was going on. You see, Jesus wasn't here just to save them from their little, you know, 
well, relevant, like it was, it was a relevant situation, but the picture was he was here to actually save them from their sin, to save humanity for all time. In the vastness and the bigness of what he was doing, it was a ginormous picture. It was actually the most amazing thing that has ever happened in the history of time, but they didn't understand that. What they were expecting and hoping for didn't quite result uh, for them the way that they thought it was going to happen. And this wasn't just the, the crowds that felt this way. The people that Jesus walked most intimately with, his disciples, they, they kind of had an expectation for this too. They were unaware of what Jesus was actually about to walk through. They, they didn't have a good understanding of the big picture. So I'm going to talk about my favourite disciple this morning, good old Peter. We love Peter, don't we? I, I think there's a little bit of Peter in a lot of us. I'm pretty sure, you know, if you ran through his personality profile and put it out there, he'd come out ADHD. You know, you've got loud mouth, think, no, don't think before you speak, don't think before you act, all passion, Peter. And I want to come in and pick it up in this story. If we can bring it up on the screen. Matthew 26, 31 to 35. So this is a picture of um, Jesus speaking to the disciples after the Last Supper. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I'm going to strike the shepherd, and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus, this very night before the rooster closed, you're going to disown me three times, Peter. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. See, Peter was a leader amongst the disciples. So we've got loud mouth, all passion Peter, knows better than Jesus. Jesus is trying to actually tell them and explain what's about to happen. But who knows that it's really hard to hear when you've kind of got this preconceived idea of what's supposed to take place. Let's pick up the scripture and keep reading on. It says, then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. This is when they're in the garden. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Guess which disciple that was? Oh, yeah, it was Peter. (laughs) He's like, all right, Jesus, I've got this. I'm with you. I'm your guy. (sighs) I've actually often heard, you know, in my Christian walk, Peter depicted in this, uh, this season where he did deny Jesus three times as weak or a coward. But I don't actually think that's what we're looking at here. You see, Peter was ready to fight. I actually think he was ready to die for Jesus. What he wasn't prepared for was it to happen this way. I want my triumphant king. This was supposed to be glorious. Triumph, we're here. This is the hour has come. Here we go. Let's get ready. I'm Jesus' main guy. We're with him. I'm beside him. Let's go. The time has come. You know, and they're ready to to go and take this kingship and these guys are with him. But what they weren't prepared for is for Jesus to surrender and be cuffed and then walk away like a criminal.
Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt discouraged, disillusioned, or frustrated with God when you have a certain expectation that things are supposed to go this way, but you find yourself in this season in in your life where it goes a completely other way? It's exactly how the disciples felt in this moment. You see, the most amazing thing was actually taking place. The Holy Week had started, and we look back now and we can see in hindsight, this was the most spectacular, most powerful, most glorious thing that was about to take place. And it was, it was for all time, for all eternity, all authority, all power. You know, his blood was set there as a sacrifice for us so that we can bridge that gap and have close relationship with God. It was the best thing, historically speaking, that has ever happened in the world. But for the disciples, especially for Peter, it felt like the worst thing in the world. He just couldn't see the bigger picture. And maybe you're at a season in your life where you just don't know what's going on. You have no idea where God is in this picture. Maybe you'll come through some things and you can look back with a bit of hindsight and go, oh yeah, I see where God was doing, you know, that makes sense now. But sometimes what we expect in life and where we expect that God is going to move or do something doesn't always happen. But we're not called to understand we're actually just called to trust him. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I'm often uh, with my boys and um, sometimes we'll be in the car and I remember a, a few months ago, you know, we hit roadworks. I just, you know, there's roadworks on Warriorfield Road now. They've been there for months. And, um, and the first time we did that, the boys are in the car and they're like, oh, rolling their eyes, mum, this is so stupid. I'm like, well, you know, I tried to relay a little bit of understanding. I'm like, I know it's frustrating in this minute sitting here like this, but if we don't have road works, then, you know, we can't keep up with capacity for the rest of the roads, and then it gets worse, and we'll be sitting here longer in the long run. Just that they don't see the, the picture or the understanding. They just see their current, this is really uncomfortable, and I don't like this very much, and I have to wait, and, and we see often where we are, but we don't see the bigger picture. But just because you don't understand the bigger picture doesn't actually make it stupid. So Proverbs 3, verses 3, 5 um, to 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I'm so glad God put that in the Bible. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I have just got to run through very quickly three points on if you are in a season and when we hit those seasons in life where we're like, in your beautiful name, Lord, what is going on? I have no idea where you are in this or what to do. I do not see the bigger picture of what is going on. We're going to race through three points just to help you in these seasons. Number one, which is trust the nature of God. Trust the nature of God. Now, Rachel Collins, were you reading my notes this morning? You were not. You did not. Must be the Holy Spirit. Let's bring up this scripture here, Isaiah 43, verses 19. Want to hear it again for those of you who missed it? Better pay attention. I think the Holy Spirit wants to say something here. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. 
Now it springs forth, you do not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. One of the ways of God, he's often doing a new thing. He's often doing a new thing. You know, the disciples and the crowds of Jesus' day, they missed it because they're kind of looking over their shoulder going, what? No, no, we're just looking for the old thing. We're just, you know, we're going to do this again, aren't we? You did that before, and so we're looking for this again. But God's often doing a new thing. You know, if I'm honest, and for those who know me very well, (laughs) I don't actually love change. I'm a bit of a, a creature of comfort, You know, I was devastated when they upgraded the Nokia. It had three functions, I knew how to use all of them, and then it just keeps changing. And then you just get used to your phone and then they change it again on you. I'm like, oh. But God's always doing a new thing. Yeah, even at, at home, John and I are completely different. So he loves change. When we go on a cruise, uh, I like to sit in the room on the balcony and just watch the ocean. I could do that literally all week. John gets up and looks at the list of things to do and he circles as many things as he can fit into that day. It's like if I'm 15 minutes over here, I can show up at 10 minutes late so I can do both of them even though they're on the same time. He just, he loves it. That's not me. You know, even last night, we, um, we have Jake, he loves to bring in new board games. He loves new board games and introducing them to the family. Rach, come on, let's come play. We're going to, it's a new game. And on the inside, I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to learn a new game. I just want to play the old game. I just want to play Catan and win at that because I'm really good at it. And I was dragged to the table and we sit down and we learn this new game. And then, you know, I learn the rules. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's all right. And then I win the game and <laughs> and the new game is now my new favorite game and <laughs> but I don't I don't love change. I'm a bit of a creature of habit and but that's not an excuse to not find myself embracing new things. Yeah, Pastor Jason was on this platform last week. And he called out and said that there are visions in this place and there are dreams that are going to be birthed and rebirthed. If that's the case, you're actually going to have to learn to embrace new, to embrace technology, to embrace where God's actually moving, because ultimately it's actually not about you. And so we've got to be ready for the new things that God is doing and the new things that he's bringing. I'm not looking for the old move of God. I'm looking for the new and what that looks like. And I want to be on the forefront, on the cusp, and I want to be involved. But that will require something from you. Psalm 145, verses 8 to 10. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made understand in the process and in the nature of God that God is good. You've got to understand that God is good all of the time. So when you don't understand what's going on, you've just got to trust his nature. And, and good isn't defined by, oh God, just give me everything I want when I want it. It's not actually a very good parenting strategy. <laughs> I've tried it, it doesn't work. <laughs> so he does things, you know, it's, it's not his job just to give us what we want and when we want it and, and demand it, it's his job to mould us, you know, and to shape us and allow us to become the best versions of ourselves that we were designed to be. Number two, 
Trust the process. Oh, there is a process. Just trust the process. In Exodus 13, 18, it says, But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Did we just read there that he led them into the wilderness? God actually led them out there. I'm like, hang on a second. No, I just, I'm, we're for milk and honey, right? That's where we're going. We're on our way there. But the pathway was through the wilderness. And if you're not sure what a wilderness is, it is not milk and honey. It is not this beautiful green, pasteurized, you know, overflowing with waterfalls experience. It's a desert. <laughs> You've got to trust the process because there are actually lessons in the wilderness that we have to learn. And if God leads you there, just learn the lesson. If you don't want to go around this mountain again, just learn the lesson he's trying to teach you. He will continue to bring up the same issues until you just learn the lesson. I remember years ago when John and I first got married, um, we made some miserably poor decisions, especially around this one financial decision. And we were a little bit slow uh, to learn <laughs> to learn the lesson because we had partners involved. So when it all went belly up and really badly, it was everyone else's fault. These guys, like, that person, can you believe that? And, you know, oh, it wasn't us. Oh, no, no, we're holy. We've got it. We did the right thing. We were all innocent. It wasn't us at all. And then beautiful Holy Spirit, beautiful God, Beautiful, beautiful Jesus loves us so much. Such a good parent that he gave us another opportunity to learn the lesson. A few years later, we found ourselves in the same predicament. And guess what happened? We made the same stupid decisions. The same, like almost, I couldn't believe it. The same decisions, except this time, we didn't go in with partners, we did it on our own, and we said nobody else to blame. <laughs> it was miserable finding out that the problem was actually us. We tried to point the finger to each other for half a minute and went, oh, hang on, that's probably not going to be so good for our marriage. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> we had to learn the lesson, and I'll be honest with you, that was a proper wilderness experience for the second time. It was dry, it was hard, it brought about really hard circumstances. But because of that, we were able to learn the lesson. You know, Pastor Rick often used to say that God often cares more about what's happening in you than what's happening to you. Isaiah 55, verses 5 to 9. Oh, 8 to 9. That's time for spec savers. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yeah, we just sang about this this morning. He really does have the bigger picture for your life. I kind of liken it a little bit to Google Maps, you know, where you've got the red, the red dot on Google Maps. 
if you haven't used Google Maps before, the Refidex, right? So you just ping a point where you are on the Refidex. And we're so focused on this little, little spot on the map and, and what it looks like. But God has got this big bird's eye view. He's seen where we've come from. He knows where we are. But he also knows where we're going. And he's got all of the pathways sorted. He really, really does have the bigger picture. And when you understand this, when in the midst of chaos and you really don't know what's going on, if you learn just to trust in his processes, you can actually sit back and instead of being so focused on your little red dot on the mat, you can actually lift up your eyes and start to see the people that he's placed in and around your life. It's possible to do in the midst of chaos when you just learn to trust him in the process. There's a bigger picture than your bills. There's a bigger picture than your pain. And there's a bigger picture than your disappointment. Trust him. Learn to trust the process. Which brings me to my third point, which is simply just to trust him. To really know Jesus is actually to trust him. In John 10, 14, it reads, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own, they know me. It is possible to know Jesus and to have a real, intimate, dependent relationship with him. So I want to come back here and pick up the story of our good old Peter. <laughs> and we're going to pick it up where... He's at the scene um, of the fishing boat. He's found himself fishing. And this is after the resurrection. It's in John 21, verses 1 to 20, if you want to look it up later. And you've got Peter, and he is feeling just like he is not enough, like he was never enough and like he will never be enough. He's at a point of just complete despair, trying to make sense of everything that's just taken place. And he's just so unsure and he finds himself going back to the thing that he knew. The Bible even says that he took off his clothes, I imagine this very dramatically, well, you know, take everything off and sit in his boat and off he goes back to the thing that he knows, back to going fishing. Church, have you ever found yourself so discouraged, so disillusioned, feeling like you're not enough, feeling like you'll never be enough, completely bewildered by what's going on, that you then start to go back to what you once knew? Might be drugs, alcohol, being a workaholic, hiding yourself in work. Could you be going back to being a spenderholic because you need to fill, you know, those desires or that, that dissatisfaction with something, maybe spending money that you don't have. Could be sexual immorality in its various forms. Or worse, it could be the temptation to walk out and just leave everything. And then Jesus calls Peter. Musicians, can you come, please? So he calls Peter and he brings him to the shore. He nourishes the body, gives him something to eat. <laughs> can I even just stop there? You know, 
sometimes it's just good to nourish the body. You know, we find ourselves in these situations where we're spiritually, emotionally, physically exhausted, and then we think it's a good time to make really important life decisions. <laughs> it's not, it's a recipe for disaster. So Jesus says, come on, come, I'm gonna nourish your body, I wanna feed you. And he sits down with Jesus. And then the following dialogue takes place. John 21, verses 15 to 17. It said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now that word there, love, is actually agape love. Jesus is asking Simon, Simon, do you love me at the highest level? Agape love is perfect love. Agape love is all passion. It's all in. It's up here and it's what Jesus deserves. Peter responds. It says here, we read it as, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That word there, love, he responds with, Lord, you know that I, filio, love you. So filio love is different to agape love. Agape love is perfect and pure. It's how God actually loves us. And Peter responds with, Lord, I'm here. I can't reach it. You know, I filio love you. So when he answers that yes, it's a little bit, if I can give you an explanation, we've just lost the translation a little bit, the, the sense of what's going on here. So it's a bit like if you've got a, a boy and he says to a girl, hey, do you like me? And she'll go, yeah, I like you, but I don't like like you. I don't like you the way that you are asking of me. I like you as a friend. And it's a little bit what's going on in this dialogue. So the second time, <laughs> he said to him uh, the second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Otherwise, you know that I can only love you at this level. And let's take a look at the third time when Jesus speaks to him. Simon, son of John, do you filio love me? Ugh. I know it's impossible for you to hit this right now. I know that you haven't made it. I know that you haven't hit that target. So I'm just going to come right down here at your level. Simon, son of John, do you filio love me? And Simon was grieved in his heart. Responded something like this, Lord, you know everything. You know that I have failed to agape love you. You know that despite my best efforts, I filio love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep, restores him to his current anointing. In other words, it's okay, Peter, just get back to it. 
get back to that thing I've anointed you for. I know you've failed. It's okay. I already had a plan to restore you. I know you've messed up and you don't feel like you're enough, but I'm going to do this journey with you. Just get back to it, Peter. Get back to loving your spouse. Get back to looking after your families. Get back to running the life group. Get back to that study because your exams are coming up and you're going to be brilliant. You don't see the big picture right now, but I've got a plan for you. Get back to drafting up that business plan. Just get back to serving in my house. Get back to studying my word. Get back to seeing people and reaching them for me. There is magnificent in the mundane if you just continue to get back to that thing that I've anointed you for. It's okay. It's okay if you don't understand what's going on right now. It's okay that you don't see the big picture. Trust me. Trust my nature. Trust my processes. Just trust me. See, Jesus is not some mystical, faraway creature that you're never going to be able to access or see. Jesus loved you so much that he came and he died for you. He wanted to bridge the gap back into restoration with your father. He deserves up here. He deserves for us to live passionately for him. He deserves a love like no other. But he wants to come down and meet you at your level. So come on, come on this journey with me. I've got you. You don't have to be alone in this anymore. You don't have to fight these giants by yourself. You don't have to walk in bitterness. You don't have to walk lonely. You don't have to do these things by yourself anymore. You're just only gonna come down and meet you at your level.